I grew up in a church about the same size as this one. Uh, we had a youth group about 15 or so, and I remember the first time that I went to like a big youth event. I remember it. It was called Omni Night, and it was an all-nighter, which I can't do those anymore, and that's why I retired from being a youth pastor. But uh, So don't ask me to do an all-nighter with you guys. But it was a pretty cool event, and they had uh, preaching, and then there was uh, roller skating and bowling and ice skating, and you just went all through the night, and it was pretty awesome. There's about 300 teenagers there, give or take, and I remember the first time as I walked into this big room with 300 teenagers in there, that was something special about that for a young Christian. And I remember thinking, there's this many Christian teenagers out there. I thought 15 was all there was, you know, and there wasn't any more than that. And I remember that feeling. It was awesome. I had that feeling not long ago in uh, Georgia. I went to something called the Passion Conference, and there were 60,000 young people in the Georgia Dome. And I remember that same feeling of like, wow, there's something special about coming together as Christians. It does something for us. I remember during one of the songs, they all held up their flashlights on their phones, and you saw all these lights, and it was amazing. It was awesome to see that many Christians coming together to worship God. There was something special about that. And when you get a lot of those lights together, it intensifies the light. And even with the lights off in the Georgia Dome, it was bright. It was really cool. But there's something special about when Christians gather together to open God's word and to open our mouths in praise. Because when you get a lot of candles together, you get a lot of lights together, it intensifies the light. See, we are made to live in community. And this is why we gather. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's the first word in our DNA. It's our first word in who we are. Gather, grow, give. We're going to talk about gathering today. Psalm 8410 says this. It says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. The psalmist here is saying, look, one day in uh, the house of God with God's people is better than the best day out there in the world, in the wickedness of this world. And, and he, the psalmist says, just let me hold the door in God's house. Just let me do something. Let me come together with God's people. Uh, Genesis 2 and verse 18 says this. It says, it's not good, God said this, it's not good that man should be alone. You remember the Genesis account where God says uh, he creates uh, the atmosphere and the water and the animals. And after everything he creates, he says it was good. And this is the very first time that God says something isn't good. He says it's not good for man to be alone. See, God sets the standard way back in the second chapter of Genesis that we are made to live in community. And there's something special when we gather together as Christians that we can't get anywhere else. Uh, Matthew 18, 20 says it this way. It says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Isn't that cool? God says, look, if you will gather in my name, I will be in your midst. See, in the Old Testament, where heaven met earth was at the temple. But here after Jesus we are where God meets. God meets in us and among us. And this is where heaven meets earth. 
Jesus himself shows an example of the importance of gathering together in the house of God in Luke 4, 16. It says, and we came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as he was accustomed, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So even Jesus went to church and it was his habit. He was in that, uh, it was his custom to go to the synagogue. See, God is a trinity, which is a super hard thing to understand that he is three in one. But one thing that's important about that that we can understand is that God is constantly living in communion because there's three and you were made in his image and you were made for community. You weren't made to walk through this life alone. We're going to watch a short video that illustrates that this morning. That movie or video illustrates that we weren't made to walk through life alone. See, all of us have summer times in our lives when the bumps in the road are small. And the small things in our lives are easy to handle in solitude. But we also have those winter times where we need a pack to come around us to tackle the bigger things, to share the grief, to celebrate the joy, to lend a helping hand when we face unexpected trials. And that is why God gave us the church. We help each other. We encourage each other to refresh and refocus and re-motivate. And for so many people, they feel like the local church is not for them due to some disappointments in the past. And I'm here to tell you this morning that we all have bad church experiences. We could all sit in the room and tell about how one person did this and how a church did this and they made this bad decision. And you can decide that you want to just give up on it because of those bad church experiences, or you can remember that the church is made up of flawed people. And sometimes learning to coexist and rely on our brothers and sisters in Christ, even through all their inadequacies, helps shape us into his image. See, when confusing and hard times come into our lives, they can devastate our faith in God if we don't have a pack. Max Licato said this about that. He says, questions can make hermits out of us, driving us into hiding. Yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubt through fellowship. And he never deposits all knowledge in one person, but distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. 
And when you interlock your understanding with mine and we share our discoveries and we mix and mingle, confess and pray, Christ speaks. See, the, the, the cave has no answers. And when we retract ourselves and we build walls around our heart, you're, you're basically not allowing yourself to have any uh, help in your life, have any encouragement. See, we were meant to fill in each other's blanks. And when we share, we strengthen each other. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, we are meant to live in community and we are meant to bear one another's burdens. And gathering together as believers is important. Here's a question you might have asked yourself before, but why do we gather on Sunday? What is so special about a Sunday? Is that just when everybody is free? You know, it's just when we can get together? Or what about in the Old Testament? They met on Saturday. Why don't we have church on Saturday anymore? Well, immediately after the resurrection, the church recognized Sunday as the new Sabbath. The day that Christ rose from the day was the Lord's day now. We see that in Acts 20 and verse 7. It says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. I was planning on preaching until midnight this morning, if that's okay. Is that all right? No? Okay. All right. Well, yeah, the Steelers play later, right? So we got to get, get back for that. We'll get done before that, I promise. But... You see there in that verse that they met on the first day of the week. In uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So there will be no collecting when I come. We see them again meeting on a Sunday morning and even taking up an offering. So we as a church come together on Sunday. Why? To celebrate Easter every single week. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, and that is why we meet on Sunday. But why do we sing, though, right? That's kind of weird. Where else do people come together and sing other than like at a Justin Bieber concert? (laughs) Baby, baby, baby. I mean, when we gather together, I'm going to get roasted by that later. When we gather together at work and we have our meetings at work, we don't open with a song. Why do we sing when we come together as a church? What is this, karaoke or something? And you might be thinking, if anybody ever heard my voice, they would say, "Uh, please don't sing. But the reason we sing is because the Bible encourages us to sing together. Ephesians 5.19 says, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now, look, this is super basic stuff, but we got to be, uh, we got to be thinking about why we do these things because it's important. And you might be a person that's new to church and you say, it's kind of weird. And I get it. It is kind of weird, but we do these things for reasons. And here we see that uh, God commands us to speak to each other and to preach messages to each other through our psalms and our hymns and our spiritual songs. Jesus himself uh, even gives us an example to sing, even in a time when it was his hardest time in his life. See, Jesus led his disciples in a song right before he went to the Mount of Olives to pray uh, that night before his crucifixion. We see that in Matthew 26, 30. 
Remember the story of Paul and Silas praying and singing in prison. See, Christians have sung from the beginning, even through persecution. In AD 112, the Roman official Pliny the Younger wrote this. I want you to see this quote. It's really cool. He wrote this uh, to the emperor Trajan about Christians. This is the early Christians, 80 years after Christ was crucified and rose from the dead. It says, they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, talking about Christian, when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God. And they bowed themselves by a a solemn oath, not to uh, any wicked deed, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up. And after it, it was a custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food, but ordinary food of an innocent kind. We see here, 80 years after Christ's uh, resurrection, that people are coming together in Christ's name, meeting together, singing together, uh, hearing some preaching, encouraging them not to have adultery and not to steal and not to lie. And even we see at the end, food, right? That's pretty great. They came together on innocent food, which I don't know what that means, uh, but it, it seems like an exciting thing. But we sing because the Bible encourages us to, and the early church did it. John Wesley called singing this. He called it sung theology. See, we don't sing the top 40 in here. This isn't entertainment. It's not a show. We have a worship leader that chooses theologically sound uh, songs that will preach a message to our hearts. And today we've heard some messages about how we have blessed assurance and that Jesus is mine and that this is just a foretaste of the glory that's coming in the future. We heard a a message this morning about how he's the king of our hearts and how he'll never let us go. See, singing is important because we preach messages to our heart and we're here a few more messages before we leave. Ah, well, singing's just emotional though. And I'm just not an emotional person. We'll see if you're emotional if the Steelers lose today, right? You're going to be crying. (laughs) Now, we're emotional beings. And the Bible is emotional literature. It's filled with emotional expressions designed not just to communicate with our rationality, but to also stir us up emotionally. See, if God doesn't touch your heart, you're missing on something. God wants to engage all of you. And all of us have probably been in a service before where it was dead as four o'clock. I don't know what that means, but someone used to say it, and I just repeated it. But it was dead in that service. Yeah, have you ever been in a service like that? You can raise your hand. Just don't say it's this one right now, and, and we'll be okay. You've been in a service that's dead, and you're like, wait a minute. We're serving the God of the universe, and how is everybody like half asleep, and like nobody cares, and they just come together. See, God tells us to love him with all of our hearts and our souls and our minds. Now, the soul is the seat of our emotion. He wants all of us. Now, don't worry, we're not going to have one of those laughing services where we break out in laughter for 45 minutes. If you've ever seen one of those, Google it. It's, it's pretty crazy. Everybody's like, ha, 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 ha. And then, and then someone goes like this, and they all go, ha, ha, ha. Super weird. Google it. But we're not going to do that. We're not going to be just emotional-based. But when 
the rational thinking and our minds are engaged with the gospel and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, if it doesn't touch your heart, there's something wrong. And you need to investigate that. If what Jesus did for you doesn't move you, you need to figure out why. Now, on this flip side, we don't ignore our minds either. See, God wants to engage our heart and our mind. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, the second half of it says this, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. John 4, 24 says that God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a balance there of uh, not just being emotional and not just being rational, but God wants to use both of those parts of you. See, singing is you preaching theological messages to your heart and to those around you. It engages your heart and your mind to worship God. And the singing at our gatherings is not for your entertainment. It's for your participation. See, the worship band leads us to worship. And we will let this sung theology focus our mind and affect our hearts. Okay, okay, so this is why we meet on Sunday. This is why we sing. But what about this whole thing called a message? It's just about this guy that thinks he's super important and that everybody should just listen to him talk for 30 minutes, right? Yeah, a little bit of that, right? No. We do that. The reason we have a sermon or a message is because that's where we realize our part in God's story. It's where we figure out where we fit in. And it's not just talking about what we believe, it's letting what we believe change our actions. See, the goal of any sermon is to ask the question, how does the truth of God's word affect me? See, I don't, I don't know if you're going to understand this, but I'm not looking for a handshake and say, hey, that was a really great service by the end of this. That's not what I'm concerned with. I'm concerned with uh, opening God's word and respecting it and giving it in context to where it changes us. Not just we had a nice church service and it was comfortable and it was tidy and it was good and you made me laugh. That's not why we do this. We do this to allow God's word to affect us and to change us and to make us new. See, God's word is very important. God created everything that we have through his word. Jesus calmed the sea with his word. Fevers were cooled. Demons were cast out. Blind received sight. The dead were raised and sins were forgiven through his word. God's word is so important that in John chapter 1, it even says that Jesus was the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. See, we have this thing called a sermon that takes up half of the worship service because we're opening the Bible and applying it to our hearts and asking it to change us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. If you're here this morning and you're missing something, there's a good chance what you're missing is God's word applied to your life. Here it says that you may be complete and equipped, ready for every good work. See, this book that we call the Bible was breathed out by God and it 
can change your life. And that is why we take this time during our gatherings to open it and apply it to our hearts. And this is why also we have a time of response after the message. And you might have a church background where they didn't do that, and that's okay. But what we want to do is we want to ask God, how does this apply to me? God, where do you want me to change? We have that response time so that we can allow God to speak to our hearts. We can respond to it and take action. And lastly, we also leave space in our gatherings for praying together. See, God's people have been praying together since the beginning. See, another goal during that response time is for you to pray together and for each other. See, we believe that praying together as a church is important. And again, we see the importance of praying together on the Mount of Olives, right? The night before Jesus was to be crucified, he asked his disciples to come and pray with him and to watch a little while and pray with him before he went into this most difficult time on earth. Now, praying together isn't dignified. It isn't comfortable. It's hard to stay proud when you're on your knees praying with your spouse or a friend. But it's important. You've probably seen people over the last few months come down and and a bunch of people gather around because there's things that they're going through and we're letting them know that we're praying with them and that we're praying for them. We see in the early church they did this in Acts 1.14 said, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And Acts is full of occurrences just like this, where the early church prayed together. And many people like to come and use this altar uh, right here to ask for prayer. And personally, I like that. There's something special about kneeling before God, and you don't care about what anybody thinks. Now, let me make it clear, though, that this isn't a hot spot for, like, you know, connection with God, that you, God doesn't hear you louder here. You can pray wherever you want. God is with you, and he is around you, and he is omniscient, and he can hear your prayer wherever you are. People like to use their pews as a, a place that they can pray. Some people like to stand up and pray. But there's something particularly special about when someone comes down with a big burden And you let your brothers and sisters in Christ pray over you and help bear that burden. So we gather together on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection, to sing together, to study God's word, to respond to it and pray together. We do this because the Bible encourages us to do it. And we see those examples in the early church. Acts 2, 46 says, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers, day by day, those who were being saved. You weren't made to face winter alone. You were made to live in community. And gathering together is important. It's in our DNA. And we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We're going to end the service out in a little bit different way. Before we sing, we want to illustrate how important gathering is and how how we need each other. The band's going to come. 
And as you came in, hopefully each and every one of you got a little three-by-five card. See if you can find that. You might have lost it between the door and the pew, but we're going to do something different today. You're also going to find in front of you, hopefully there's a little pencil, or maybe uh, in your pew there's a pen. I want you to find that as well. If you need one of these cards, just raise your hand real quick. Tori and Miss, uh, Brother Tim are going to help us pass them out here real quick. I just volunteered him. All right, you got a three-by-five card, right? You got a pen or something to write with. Like I said, this is going to be a little different. It's going to be a little weird. This isn't something we do every Sunday. But if you have it, what I want you to do, this is going to be completely anonymous Don't write your name on it. What we're going to do is I want you to write one big prayer request on that card. One big prayer request. Maybe it's something you've been praying for for a while. Maybe it's something that you know that if God doesn't step in on this, you don't know what's going to happen. I want you to go ahead and do that right now. Nobody look at each other's cards. Find yourself a pen and write down one big prayer request. What is the bravest prayer that you could pray this morning? That thing that you're like, I don't know how God is going to do this. I have a brother. I've got three other brothers. I've got one brother that left when he was 18, moved to Texas, and we didn't see him for a long time for 15 years or so. And I'm going to tell you, that was the hardest prayer for me to pray. Because it was the prayer that wasn't getting answered. It was the prayer that, do I ask God this again, that God would heal our family and bring my brother back into a relationship that we could talk and see him at Christmas and all that kind of... Do I even worry about praying over this thing? Because it's not getting answered. About two years ago, God healed that relationship. I found him on Instagram. All of a sudden, he's got this account, and we began to talk. And the last two Thanksgivings, he's been there with us after 15 years of not talking. What I'm here telling you right now is that you can pray that prayer. And in God's timing, he can answer it. I don't know how it's going to get answered. Sometimes God just has us walk through things, but you're not meant to walk alone. And we're going to do something here. It's going to be a little weird. I'm going to ask you to fold those prayer requests up. Don't put your name on it. It's going to be completely anonymous. So you can be, rest assured that if you wrote something serious, no one will ever know. I want you to switch with the person in front of you, but don't open it. Person behind you, maybe, if you got nobody in front of you. Go ahead and switch those prayer requests. Don't open them, though. I promise it'll be anonymous. You can... All right, what we're going to do next, don't open them. Don't look at these. I want you to stand up. 
and go find someone else across the room to give that prayer request to. And just find your way back to your seat. As soon as you're done, you just sit back down. I want you to think about this this morning. You hold in your hand something that it might take years for you to get. Something that you might have to have a relationship with somebody for a long time before they would ever tell you this big prayer request that they have. That's huge. Think about what you hold in your hand and how important it is. We're going to have a time of response. I want to encourage you to come and either pray at the altar over these prayer requests. Pray in your chair. But think about the fact that not just that you have somebody's biggest prayer request, but someone has yours. Let's stand to our feet, bow our heads. You can open them. No one's looking around. But I want to encourage you to come and pray. Pray over this big prayer request. Why? Because we're meant to live in community. Come now.